Father, thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning in October. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word that you would speak to each and every heart. Lord, for just these moments, we need your truth and your strengthening to bathe and wrap around these many needs. And yet, Lord, we're not to be oppressed by the needs. We're not to be um, overwhelmed by the needs. Because, Father, you know all about them, and you are in control of each of them. We lift them up to you, asking for your will to be done. And, Lord, may you use it for your glory, we pray. In thy precious name, amen. Well, I'm excited to get into, I need my Bible. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yep. Oh, and Viv, let me give this back to you, okay? Yep, thank you. Yeah. Um, we are in a spider series, all right? Now, last week, we learned a couple wonderful things about that God-made insect. We learned that she never gives up. She never gives up. It doesn't matter how many times her home is wiped out. If she's got one spindly leg, what's she doing? She's hiking herself up, and she's, she's building. So she's in a state of continually rebuilding. And girls, that's the truth God wants. Diane, it's so good to have you in class. My heart, yes, yes, continue to, of course, uh, to remember Tim and Diane and Lori and Bill and Roger and Gail. Those three top ones are always there. Um, and Tim is a walking miracle, and we just praise God for that. But she continually rebuilds, and it puts us in, in reference to that spider because we are always rebuilding, repairing, renewing. We live in that state continually, this side of heaven. So... The last thing I want to talk about concerning the spider, putting aside the fact um, our reaction to them and how they creep us out, you know, <laughs> there are some things that God wants us to learn. I want you to think about her intricate, beautiful, symmetrical web that she weaves. And that's your cookie for this morning, your spider web. How does she do it? Which brings us to the question, the other attribute of the spider was she always rebuilds. And the question I need to ask myself, Kathy, what do you build? What are you building? Because she always builds in hard places. That was the subpoint to the fact that she always rebuilds. She always builds in hard places, metal mailboxes, porch railings. It's always a hard place. What do I build in my hard places? And um, we talked about last week, we naturally, we carnally always gravitate immediately to build the wrong thing. I build unto my pain or I build unto my pride. And that's what's always before me, you know. Do you know how hard this is or my pride? Do you know what I do for you every day? You know, it's, it's the wrong kind of building, but we naturally go that way until we get the truth in our head and our hearts and we commit ourselves, Lord, I want to build for your glory. Lord, forgive me for building under my pain and my pride. The other thing we do when we, when we have to rebuild is we blame. We blame. That comes so naturally and comes so often. The rhetoric of blaming in, in this world especially is so common, we don't even recognize it as blame anymore. God forbid that we allow that to live in our hearts, especially when we need to rebuild. You know, um, that blaming, is so, it's so secular. It's like, 
well, I wouldn't scream if you would just listen to me, you know. It just, it just goes in circles, and it tears down. It does not build. It tears down. Um, Proverbs 14.1. Louise, would you read that for us? Yeah, every wise woman builds. Turn to the lady next to you and say, build, tell her, build. But don't build the wrong way. Don't build what comes naturally. Build according to being wise. The wise woman builds, but the foolish tucketh it down, or teareth it down. James 1.26, Shannon, would you read that? Empty, empty. If any man seem to be religious, if any woman seems to be religious and bridleth not her tongue, the most proactive way I can build is with my mouth, with my words. The most destructive way I tear down is with my words. It's with my mouth, and my religion is vain. And God never gives a, a, um, a truth without supporting it with YBH, yeah, but how? Yeah, but how? How do I build with my mouth? Well, here's, here's what's so good. Ready? Um, Alice, James 119. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Uh-huh. There's the yeah, but how. Be swift to hear, slow to what class? Slow to speak, because when I live in obedience to this, Jesus is going to take me to a place of his sweetness that I will never find apart from this. Um, grievous words stir up anger. They never bring a solution. So 1 Corinthians, for, oh, I wanted to, I'm, I'm, it's me, 1 Corinthians, <laughs> because I'm going to sit here for a while, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, you can turn here, 1 Corinthians 4, speaking of building in my hard time, verses 12 and 13, um, oh, I want to go up to 11, because here's Paul, boy, talk about hard times, ready, even unto this present hour, we both hunger, how many of you ate this morning, did you thank the Lord? Did you remind your children to thank the Lord? Did you talk about how blessed we are because we have food in our cupboards and in our refrigerator? This is what builds our home, girls. This is what builds our spiritual legacy. Say it out loud all the time. Talk it out loud all the time. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Here's Paul. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. This is how they are living. And this is what he says. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scourging of, off-scouring of all things unto this day. And then he goes on to give more instructions. So number one, bless, not blame. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Romans 12, 14. Carol, I gave you Romans 12, 14. Mm -hmm. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Bless them. 
Now, thinking back on last week, did you have a hard time with anybody last week? I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Did you have a hard time with anybody? That is the point of reference in which you learn to build because you don't keep making the same mistake over and over and over and end up tearing everything down. All right, with that person that you had a hard time with, how could you and I have blessed them? First of all, a soft answer turneth away wrath. My tone. My tone is everything. And then in kindness, have those power-packed phrases of, how can I help? When you get attacked for whatever reason, when you get verbally spanked, it can be totally wrong, or there can be a seed of truth in it, and that's a, a part of my pride to always examine and ask the Lord, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way. This, this argument, this misunderstanding, show me what I need to see because my pride's going to blind that every time. But then come up with a blessing of a solution. So that goes back to, how can I help? Maybe it goes back to, I'm sorry, I blew it, I failed. Don't give excuses, confess it, and determine to do better. But don't go on and on and on with reasons why I failed, okay? That's, that's the pitfall I would fall into, but because I always had a reason why I couldn't do or couldn't be or couldn't have or couldn't accomplish. We all do. Don't go there. That feeds my pride again. Sorry. I blew it. Please forgive me. Get that verbiage. That is the blessing of a God-given response. Ask for forgiveness. Now, you may not get forgiveness. You might not. That's not up to you. That's up to God. But that clears the air and makes it available for you and I to rebuild again, whether it be coworkers, whether it be an ex-friend, whether it be family, whether it be a husband, whether it be whoever it is. That is the same groundwork God gives us to rebuild something beautiful for his glory. Um, okay, we're going to park on Romans 12, 14. Uh, Carol, would you read that one more time? Okay, now we're going to stay in Romans 12 for just a minute because it's so good. It gets to something that is such a solution for you and me in hard places, hard times. All right, in chapter 12, we just heard Carol read about a to-do. Yeah, but how? Bless them that persecute you. What do you do when you're in a hard time so that you can build? You bless them that persecute you. And you don't, that curse not, you don't keep reviewing their ugliness, their wrongness, their, you don't keep reviewing the bad of it. And what's the why, but, yeah, but how with that? Whatsoever things are lovely, pure, of good report, think on these things. But girls, we're not going to be able to think on them until we first forgive that person. Until we first ask God, God reveal to me where, where I failed, where, what I need to see. And then, Father, bless them this day. Give them the desires of their heart that match your desire. Um, verse 21, 
This is beautiful. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There's something good God wants to do in every one of our hard places. He is waiting to accomplish good as I live in obedience to his word. But God working in and through the hard things is always preempted by my obedience to his word. I don't have the reference for you, but it's coming up to my brain right now. Um, the wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Okay, my wrath, my anger, yeah, it sounds like James, definitely. I love James. The wrath of man. And we think, well, I'm not wrathful. Yes, we are. Any level of anger, moodiness, um, sarcasm, um, James 1.20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteous. Do you want something right to happen in your hard places? I do. I desperately want something right to happen in my hard places. God says, I can't wait to do what's right in your hard place, but you've got to stop getting angry. You've got to stop staying bitter. You've got to stop not forgiving. Obedience to his word on how to deal with this always brings blessing because it brings the working of God. Wow, that's huge. Um, something good. Now, in Romans 12, which is an amazing, I, I, I encourage you to memorize, read every day, Romans 12. It begins with those powerful verses that we know so well that they almost slip off our heart and off our mind before we really grasp the power of them. Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies holy and acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the, that ye may, what? By the renewing of your mind, that ye may, and here's the word I want you to get, that ye may what? Prove. Prove. Say it again. Prove. That ye may prove what is acceptable. Every hard situation you and I are in is that opportunity to prove God is good. It is huge. Prove God is good. Prove it. Your next hard place, your next hard person, your next, I can't believe this happened. Yes, I can. We are this side of heaven. We're not home yet. And God says, child, let me work my good in this. Um, your notes for today are the same notes that I gave you last week, and on the bottom of that, you'll see the interpretation um, of a word crisis, because we live <laughs> with so many levels of crisis in our life in this side of heaven. And you know how that is written in Chinese? It's beautiful. They write the word crisis with two words, trouble and opportunity. Trouble and opportunity. The next time you're into a hard place, maybe it's a doctor's appointment, maybe it's a doctor's report, maybe it's a disappointment of any level of any kind, recognize it immediately as opportunity. Opportunity. This is my opportunity to go, ready, back to Romans 12, one, prove. Prove God. God, I can't wait to prove your goodness. I can't wait for others to see your goodness in this hard time of mine. It's my opportunity. 
the Chinese symbol. Um, that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. And there's a whole bunch of yeah, but how's, oh, I wish I could get into it, but I can't do that because we're talking about the spider. So I'm going to go back. Oh, by the way, what, what else am I improving? My transformation. My transformation. That is the proof in the pudding. You know, I don't, I don't want to be that person with the vain religion that can't control my mouth. The proof of my transformation is seen in a hard time, is seen in my reactions more than in my actions. Um, transformation, something good. The proof that God is good all the time and that his perfect will is being accomplished even though it doesn't look that way. Stephen Sorensen writes in his discipleship journal, for two years, because of severe tendonitis in both wrists, I could not pick up my young daughter, carry a log, or even open a twist-off pop bottle. Boy, those are getting hard for me. <laughs> I'm going, wow. To make matters worse, my wife and I, with help from our family and friends, were building a major addition to our home when the tendonitis developed. So I couldn't even use a hammer. Don't, isn't this a part of life? You think... Why did this happen now, right? Remember, opportunity. God is in control. God has a purpose for this. God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I think one of the most profitable things I learned back when the children were young was to stop praying my pain. God, they're having a fever again. God, they're going to go into convulsions. That's worry praying. It accomplishes nothing. God says, casting your care upon me. What do you do when you cast? You let it go. All right? You cast it. You cast it. Yes, bring it to him. But then pray your faith. Don't keep praying the problem. Father, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. It became a mantra in my mouth, and it honored God. And God did marvelous things. It's... <laughs> Yep, but you got to keep doing it. Really, really hard. It is very hard because you know what you're doing? You're surrendering what you felt was yours. Yeah. You, you, you have to, and we talked about that in that, and we're going to talk about it with this weaving of the web. There comes a point where she has to let it go. And if she doesn't, nothing beautiful is ever accomplished. But it is that surrender. That, that, remember we talked about the nevertheless, and our dear Jesus gave us the example. In the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I would pray, Lord, take the fever down. Lord, Lord, don't allow the convulsions to happen again. One would always follow the other within 30 minutes. And we, would, we got that hospital route down eight minutes flat, both babies, you know. Lord, take it away, take it away. No, no, until I came to that point of surrender. And, you and all, you've all been there. With something that is so precious to your heart, it's ripping your heart out. And you say, God, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And that is the only point in which the ministering of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer floods you with his peace. It's going to keep your heart in mind. Boy, I tell you what, there's, it's no wonder that 
people pop pills continually. There's a time and a place for pills, but I'm saying I was on the verge of losing my mind with those three little ones. Emotionally, I was until I learned that beautiful gift of surrender. Who gave me the babies in the first place? Who made Clint exactly how he's supposed to be? My father, who does all things well. Um, so after the, um, I wondered if I would ever use the full use of my hands, but our remodeling went on. We installed a second-story window one blustery evening with the help of some Christian friends and a man named Willie, a retired military musician. Afterward, before the window crew, afterward, before the window crew began eating dinner, I prayed a simple prayer. Willie listened carefully and watched how the rest of us interacted. Later, as he was leaving, he said, "People don't help each other like this anymore." And I replied, sure they do. Willie came back to our house day after day. He dug up our septic tank, cut diseased trees, simply spent time with us. I could sense he understood my pain and our need. One afternoon, as he and I walked and talked in the woods, I discovered why. For most of his life, Willie had lived for his music. But a devastating ear problem developed, preventing him from listening to music of any kind. And as a result, rather than being put off by my injury, Willie was drawn to me because of our common ground. And before we went our separate ways, Willie became a Christian. As I look back, I don't know if I would have taken time to talk with Willie had my wrist been well. Most likely, I would have been hammering nails, running a chainsaw. So all I could do was listen and talk, and in God's plan, that was more than enough. Opportunity. Every crisis is God's opportunity to prove himself, who he is, and that we get to show that he is faithful. Going back to the, the sweetest, best, most user-friendly way of building, being with our mouth, um, Proverbs 16, 23, and 24. Cindy, would you read that for me? The heart, yep. the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as an honeycomb sweet to the soul and heals to the bones. Wow, how many could use a little sweetness in your soul today? Do you know what? Everybody around you could use even more sweetness in their soul today. And you and I get to be the voice box. Honey to the soul, deep inside. The words meeting a need that goes so much deeper than even food. Our soul is what needs to be refreshed, revived. And our kind words, our sweet words, is what God wants us to use to accomplish just that, the sweetness of my mouth. And it teaches, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Sweetest lesson you will ever teach with your mouth is your reaction to bitterness that comes your way. It's the sweetest, uh, just before I talk to you about bitterness um, and the heart of the wise teaching the mouth. I read the most moving illustration of something that I know is sadly so common. Annabelle Gillum, author of The Confident Woman, tells about a time when an elderly man came up to her after a conference. During the session, she had mentioned a couple she had counseled where the man yelled in frustration that his 13-year marriage, in his 13-year marriage, his wife had never praised him once in front of anyone. Speaking of sweetness in the lips, 13 years. He says to Annabelle, you remember the man who the wife 
had not praised him in 13 years, Annabelle? Yes, she said. He twisted his hat in his hand, looked up and down again, and there were tears in his eyes. When he regained his composure, he continued, Would you believe 39 years, Annabelle? I beg your pardon, she asked. Yes, 39 long years. She talked to him for quite a while. He told her that his wife had never been content with him, that he tried to please her but just couldn't seem to meet her standards. Then, as though he were confessing to someone who could forgive him, he told her how he had visited his sister recently for a month alone. His wife chose not to go with him. While he was there, he went to a senior citizen's barbecue and sat by a woman who simply listened to him and responded to him with pleasant words and interesting questions. They saw each other several times during his visit. We never touched each other. I can't explain what happened to me when we were together. Walking, talking, sitting at the card table, drinking coffee. I was content. I was special. I didn't entertain any ideas about leaving my wife, Annabelle. I would never do that. But it was awfully hard to go back home. Yeah. We need to teach our mouths. Because there's so many around us don't show it on the outside, but inside they are parched and waiting for sweet words, for a building up. The wise woman buildeth her house. And the heart of the wise teaches my mouth. My sweetest lesson that I can teach will be my reaction to the bitter. Um, my first step in weaving an orb of beauty, and I'm not going to read you that. Um, oh, but here's one that you have to get. In her mouth is the law of kindness. All right, in her mouth is the law of kindness. My commitment to not breaking the law does not happen when I'm in the middle of a misunderstanding, when I am facing somebody who has a problem with me or mine or whatever or whatever. My commitment to not breaking that law does not happen then. My commitment to not breaking the law has to happen first thing early in the morning in my time alone with God. That is where I have to commit the law of my mouth. Dear Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be accepted to you all day long. Father, I'm actually, you know what? You will equip me. You will bring light in the darkness. You will bring, you will bring your working in a heart. But I can't wait for somebody to be ugly to me. <laughs> I can't wait for that person to have 20 things in the eight only line because I'm going to speak words of kindness to them. I can't wait, Lord. I'm going to see what you can do, but just in the most common ways, Father, I want to be light and salt every place I go, every place I go. And if you give me the opportunity, I can't wait to glorify your name to that hard person or that irritating person. Um, let the words of my mouth. So next... The last thing that the spider does in building a beautiful woven home is begin. How does she begin? That first, that first part of building the web. All right. Does she does she fly? No. The spider doesn't fly. Does she 
Does she propel it like Spider-Man? No, she doesn't <laughs> propel it like, does she walk up and down and up? No, she doesn't do that. This is the one thing that the spider does with that first strand to build. She releases it. She releases it. And she allows the wind to take it wherever and attach it to something hard. And with that first strand, she builds her bridge. She builds her bridge. Then she walks back over that first strand, reinforcing it. Okay, so the important, the most important part of that web is the first strand. Do you know the first step is always the hardest? Have you ever watched a toddler start to walk? They go down on the floor a lot, don't they? The first step is always, for that prodigal son that we talked about, we actually talked about the father last week or the week before, that for the prodigal son, that first step was agonizing. But with the first step came the second, and then the third, and then the fourth. And pretty soon, he was running back home. His heart was beating as fast as his feet were running. Then that dear dad, who prayed for him every day, that's what the lesson was, what do you do when you can't do anything about what you can't do anything about? He prayed. And there was that dad looking afar off, and here comes running and stumbling this broken mass of humanity, emancipated, and the dad looks up and he says, that's my son, that's my son, he's coming home. God, thank you, you answered my prayer. Well, I could see my son coming home. But the first step is always the hardest because Satan does not want you and me to take that first step turning to the Lord, going home. He does everything to keep us entangled in a deceit a deceitful web. He's the father of lies. And he keeps bombarding us to keep us stuck in that web. Take the first step. What do you and I need to do to take that first step back to our father? Just do it. Just do it. When you take that first step in obedience to what God has said, that is when the Holy Spirit empowers you to take the next one. But you and I have to take that first step of obedience. And then the Holy Spirit says, okay, Kathy, gird your loins with truth. Get God's opinion about it. Get what God says about it, that you may be able to stand, that you may be able to stand in these hard places. <clears throat> freedom. Satan does not want me to know that kind of freedom. And this goes into, Paulette, what we were talking about. Sometimes we, we hang on to things that we think are ours. They're precious things. They're gifts. They're gifts from God. Job wisely said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of his loss, he didn't lose his faith. He substantiated. He proved his faith. Girls, this side of heaven, we are going to lose every gift at some point. Now, God daily loads me with his benefits, but, oh, we're going we're gonna to end with this beautiful, beautiful truth that I need to get to. Because what do you do when you lose what you thought was yours? What do you do when you lose it? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, oh, right here in my basket, I have a caramel apple. It's huge. 
It's got peanuts on it. It's the, oh, I forgot to tell you about, oh, I, I'll have to just table it. Because there's a reason why, <laughs> there's a reason why caramel, remember our lesson on get God's covering? Okay, I didn't have time to bring this out back then either, but the caramel goes on a sour, hard apple. The caramel is sweet and thick and soft, and it goes on what is hard and sour because our tongue has been designed so that the taste buds, the most profitable time for us to taste sweet is after we've tasted something sour. So the yin-yang that goes on in your tongue, God designed us this way so that it would be so flavorful. Being a foodie, I love this. I say, thank you, Lord. I get excited every time I eat. It, it's, it's, it's a celebration. It's a celebration. I refuse to eat if I'm standing up because it deserves to be honored. I will not put food in my mouth if I'm standing. I will sit down. Now, sometimes I sit down and stand up really fast, but it's kind of like this little Kathy vow that I live by, you know. So, so here's this. So if you were to put this sweet covering on a softer apple, a sweeter, like a Macintosh that is softer and sweeter, if you were to put this covering on a Mac apple, you would take a bite of it, and it would be a mouthful of mush. But when it's put on this sour apple, this hard apple, and you get that mixture, it is so sweet. It is so good. It is so crunchy. All you can say is, thank you, Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and so is this caramel apple. Well, this is a gift. My daughter and I, I mean, I call her my clone. We are alike in so many ways. She loves these like I love these. So I'm going to give this gift to Trina. And there you go, my sweetie. Now, there's a little note on the bottom. Give your gift away. <laughs> Give your gift away. Give your gift away. Okay. So what do you do when the gift goes away? Because it will and it does. And God has a reason and a purpose and a plan in it. What you do, you do just what Job did. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you start praying your faith. Father, according to your plan for my day, you have taken this away. I love you, Lord. And I will bless you until you take me home. Use this ache, use this pain for your glory. And God bless the person you gave it to, too, in all of that. How do we let go? We talked about it. We've got to get that nevertheless into our prayer language. Not my will, but thine. Now let me show you why you can let go, because this is imperative. Okay, there's the what I do, but why? Why can I let go? Let me go back. Go to, uh, back to Romans 8, 31 and 32. I think I wanted everybody to read this. Romans 8, 31 and 32. You need, to, you need to learn these verses. These, these are amazing verses. And God's word says, what can we say to these things? What things? Well, if you read Romans, you're going to read about a whole bunch of hard stuff, a whole bunch of hard times. And so Paul is saying, what can we say to these things? This is what we say. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
He, now here, here's where he substantiates it, girls. He, God, who is always for us. He, you know, the one, the one that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us, say it with me, all things. All things that I need for life and godliness, according to 1 Peter. And then it goes down to verse 35. Who can separate me from the love of God? Nothing, nothing can. But understand this from verse 32. If God before us, who can be against us? Now, now let me prove it to you. God has already proven to you and me that he gave everything. He held nothing back. He gave the best. He gave everything. He gave his only begotten son to go to a cross to have his body bleeding, cut, painful, his spirit broken so that when he bled, he bled blood and water separately. His heart burst inside of him. And you know what Jesus did right then? In that broken, hard place, he says, Father, forgive Kathy. Father, forgive Hiel. Father, forgive Leslie. In that state, Father, forgive them. He proved that I can trust him. When the gift goes away, dear God, you've already provided everything that I need for life and godliness. And you will provide in this loss. I thank you and I praise you that I can trust you because of what you've done. Next time you see a spider, look at that spider and you remember the truth that God wants you to know. She continues to rebuild. She doesn't blame. She doesn't build the wrong thing. She doesn't build towers and palaces to her pain or to her pride. She builds a beautiful web. And that transformation happens as she lets go and allows God to do his plan for her pain. For her building. How does she build? With her mouth. With her mouth. Sweet words are like, honey, honey, what can I build today? If you're in a hard time, take these truths and commit them and get excited about what God is going to do as you purpose to rebuild. Father, may you seal your word and your truth in our head and our hearts. God, it's just amazing that you would make all of nature to prove these lessons that we are so slow to get. God, the next time I get rid of a spider, may I remember you are a faithful God, and you will teach me, and you will build in me for your glory something that is beautiful. In thy precious name, amen.